Back to the Bulwark goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm the culture editor at the Bulwark. I'm very pleased to be joined today by John Mass. Uh, John Mass is executive vice president of Content Partners LLC, uh, a variety 2020 dealmakers honoree. Mr. Mass has the unique combination of experience in finance, production, and talents management that uh, makes him an expert in this field. Um, I, I, I'm really interested in in Content Partners and what you guys do because you know you you guys own a lot of movies. Uh, but aren't a studio, which is which is a, a, kind of a weird combination, right? You've got uh, the rights to 13 Going on 30, Black Hawk Down, Black Swan, three of my favorite movies across a variety of genres. Um, and then also uh, CSI, you own 50% of CSI is my understanding. Um, but uh, again, you're not, you're not making new movies. You're basically selling these movies to other content platforms. Is that right? Uh, partially. We... Um... First of all, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Uh, we actually uh, use third parties, major studios, to do the distribution of our content. So we will own them and use best-in-class distributors to then sell those into the marketplace via, okay. via various distribution channels and media. Okay. Uh, so one of the stories uh, that I was reading <clears throat> on your guys' site uh, is about uh, at the end of last year, you picked up um, uh, a bunch of movies, but including amongst them Olympus Has Fallen uh, and Insidious, right? Mm -hmm. So these are two movies that have created, have kind of surprisingly spawned these big franchises. They're huge hits. Um, my my question then is, do you uh, are are do you just do you own the underlying IP, the intellectual property that you can then uh, use to make more sequels and more TV shows if you want to do that sort of thing, whatever, um, uh, or is it? Uh, is it just the rights to those films that you can then, you know, lease to Netflix or distribute right. through a Blu-ray, that sort of thing? It's a good question. Uh, in, in, in the question, the answer is sort of uh, dependent on the content. So some of the films that we own, we own the entire film. We own the underlying IP rights. We own all the distribution rights. We own the film. Other films we may own a percent of, a, 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 an economic interest in, but don't own the distribution rights or do not have the sequel and remake rights to make a 13 going on 30 or 14 mm -hmm. going on 40, whatever the movie might <laughs> sure. be going, going forward. So, uh, but we, um, it just is dependent on, you know, what we bought at the time. Mm -hmm. And how do you, I, I, I'm curious what the, what the actual negotiation process uh, with this is like. So do you, do you go to the studios themselves who originally made it? Do you go to the producers? Like what is the actual uh, back and forth like? Well, we, we buy from a number of different sources. Uh, it could be talent, you know, writers, directors, actors, producers who have an economic interest in a TV show or a movie or music, you know, a musician who may have uh, royalties in their music that they own and will purchase their interest. It's a profit participation or royalty interest that they have in perpetuity in the rights of that content. And we could buy out that interest. So if you had a 10% interest in a TV show that you wrote and you were receiving um, compensation on an annual, semi-annual, quarterly basis from the studio or network that produced that show, we could um, we could accelerate those payments to you, give you the money today for what would mm -hmm. be a perpetuity payment, and then we take over the both risk and reward of that uh, economic interest. In that in that case, we're buying you know a percentage. You know, we have no distribution rights. We don't own the underlying IP associated with it, but we own the economic interest. 
In other situations, we might be going to a financier who actually financed an entire movie and they own the it 100%. They had it distributed through a third party, maybe a bit major studio, and they're seeking to liquidate, you know, to, to, uh, to pay back their investors or have liquidity event for themselves and we'll buy it from them. And then we'll control not only the economic interests, but also those distribution rights and uh, underlying IP rights that they own. So it all depends. It could be a financier, it could be a producer, it could be a um, a, a, a more like a Wall Street investor, someone who has invested alongside the studios is looking for liquidity. Uh, they take a lot of different uh, forms. And, and of course, artists, yeah. as I said at the beginning. Yeah, I the the back end stuff is very interesting to me because I think people don't I, I, I don't think people fully understand how uh, both actors and writers and directors and everything gets get paid for for uh, some of these movies. So, you know, there, there's a difference between residuals and profit points and all of that. I was wondering if you could just break for for a for a very basic audience uh, like myself, uh, if you could just break down the differences between those and and kind of how you how you go about buying each of them out. Well, um, we don't buy out residuals where we haven't bought out residuals in the past. Residuals are payments okay. that are made um, at compensation um, that has been negotiated through collective bargaining agreements by guilds to ensure that its members receive a share of um, an economic interest in something going forward uh, after a show or a film has been made. Uh, those are residual payments. And um, uh, we don't, those are usually don't rise in size to a percentage of a film where you have mm -hmm. a, a, sure, a, sure. a percentage of the profits. And that's something that goes on, um, you know, in, in each of the guilds. We, um, Guilds meaning the unions that represent it for, for your listeners who don't have unions that rec represent um, writers, directors, actors, you know, whoever might be involved in, in a show. Um, the, the other form of, of comp a form of compensation for an artist is you write a movie, you get paid a million dollars to make a movie. God willing, get, you, you, know, you have a, a successful script and One someone wants days. to buy it and pay a million dollars for it. Um, you might also get paid. Uh, contingent compensation. It's a million dollars against the share of the profits of the that that profit participation is negotiated, highly negotiated by your representatives, uh, and that definition, how they uh, the equation for determining what that economic interest, your net profit or modified um, adjusted gross profit or whatever it might be, however they define it, is defined and put into a contract. As a film is released and money starts coming in, um, those revenues go against expenses, distribution costs, distribution expenses, or distribution fee, distribution expenses, P&A or prints and advertising, what it costs to promote that movie, or, or, or it could be marketing expenses of a TV show. At the end of the day, interest, because there's interest, if money is borrowed either internally at a studio or externally, you pay interest. And all those things are charged against till you get to what your definition is in what is called a waterfall. So if money comes in, it goes mm -hmm. through a waterfall, things are charged off against it. And finally, it gets to you because you've now paid back all those costs and you start receiving, let's say it was a million dollars against 5% of some definition of net profits. 
and you start to receive your 5% interest. And that goes on in perpetuity. What we buy, and hopefully it's not too long of an answer to your really good question is, we buy what we call uh, the long tail, right? We're buying mm -hmm. after the films come out, it's been fairly seasoned, it's been out for several or many years, and now we're buying the long tail. The economic interest in a film or TV show goes on forever. It may not be as, as steep as, uh, as it was early on in its life, but it creates, um, it's generating cash and we're buying that in perpetuity. And um, that's our, that, that's sort of, that's how we go about that. That's essentially what net profits are or profit participation yeah. is and what we'd be buying. This is uh, what 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 you just described is the famous Hollywood math. Of course, this is the the kind of you know the 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 ways in which uh, profits are are decided and and um, distributed. But it's it is really interesting to me because I, I I do think that we are in kind of a weird and brave new world almost of uh, you know streamers and uh, how how you kind of determine you know what. When you sell something to Netflix, you know, and when it is watched however many times, how 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 do you determine, you know, how people get get paid for that and how uh, how how the profit participation breaks down? It, it, it almost sounds to me like you're basically just making it all much simpler for everyone. Well, I, I think it's complicated. I think it's, um, you know, purchasing economic interest in films and television shows, uh, music. I, I, I'll set aside because it's different math, as you said, than, than mm -hmm. um, film and television is um, is complicated. It's very esoteric and it's com it's complicated because you're essentially buying something on a net profit basis. You have to really understand all the costs that go against revenues and you have to understand all the sources of revenues that can be brought in for a film or television show. As you mentioned, you know, you have streaming, you have Blu-ray, you have 4K, you have all these different media that generate revenue, and then there are expenses associated against it. It's not easy. Um, it's not simple. And understanding the economics or the math, as you say, um, is what allows you to hopefully make good purchases as opposed to bad ones, you know, making mistakes. So uh, fortunately, we, we've been fortunate. You know, we've, we've made some, some good purchases. Um, we have great partnerships and relationships in the industry with people who have sold their interests. I think, uh, you know, uh, it's been win-win for, for us in the business that we're in. But it's, um, yeah. it's different because you, you refer to it as Hollywood math. You know, it's, it's just complicated um, accounting to understand. And it's a complicated business. Whereas music is more, um, works on a gross basis. So you really don't have to understand all the expenses associated with it. Uh, pennies mm -hmm. per play, understanding all that. You don't have to understand. Sure. You're just buying uh, cash flow. Yeah, uh, the you mentioned you mentioned 4K and Blu-ray, and I have to ask because I'm a I'm I'm one of the holdouts. I'm a physical media mm -hmm. uh, person. I've got a big big wall full of movies, much to my wife's chagrin. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you see, do you foresee a uh, seeing what you've seen without again without discussing any specifics? But seeing what you've seen with cash flows from uh, streaming versus versus physical media, is there a future there, or is it? on the way out i'm sorry to say uh sonny but <laughs> <laughs> but there is not a future there you know if you look no. at the economics of physical media uh, blu-ray you know dvd it's going down um every year at a, an alarming rate 
Um, it's not zero, certainly. And that's why Redbox still exists. And that's why mm -hmm. if you go to Walmart, Target, you'll, you'll see the bins of DVD still. It's not zero, but it's going down very quickly. And remember, there was a time 20 years ago uh, when this was the largest generator, Blu-ray and, and DVD were the largest generator of revenue in the movie business by far. And yeah. uh, it's just what's happened is it's moved on to other media. Just like I'm sure there was a big horse and buggy business at the turn of the 20th century. <laughs> okay. And uh, it has moved yeah. on to other businesses. Right. So, Yeah. Uh, a, a similar kind of question, but slightly different, uh, is, is I, I'm curious about the breakdown between VOD, like, you know, price per, essentially pay-per-view. Like, I, I rent something for 48 hours from Amazon um, versus streaming. I Like, it, it, where, where I, my understanding, again, is that Netflix pays or whoever pays a certain amount of money, you get the rights to it for two years or whatever. Um, I... I, I is it does the does the pay-per-view model uh make more economic sense than the um than the like big single purchase streaming model or what works best for you uh, as the as the rights owner well i th i think to i think the jury's out on that right we're just experiencing you know what what we call in the business windowing right the windowing of, of of you know you have a theatrical window then you might have had a vod or pay-per-view window then you have pay television you know the normal windowing so you knew you had to wait six months for the dvd to come out and then after the dvd came out then you might see it on another media so that windowing is changing we're seeing that right now with black widow where you have what is called overlapping of windows it used to be mm -hmm. that they were very defined so that you can maximize, these studios felt we maximize revenues by windowing it. In, and as we move down the uh, sort of meat, you know, food chain of distribution, we're maximizing revenues. Now what you're seeing is they're experimenting with day and date release, or maybe it's a two week theatrical release. And then after that, you overlap theatrical with a, 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 a VOD window or what they call PVOD, right? Uh, and, sure. and so, or TVOD, uh, transactional video on demand. It's, un it's unclear right now. They're still trying to experiment with it. My feeling, you know, as a rights holder uh, has historically been, let's maximize the, the revenue, okay? Window to window. Um, but what's happening is just like you can't let go of your DVDs and Blu-rays on, and probably laser discs somewhere in your house, um, <laughs> You know, HD DVD. That's as far okay. As it, okay, HD DVD. You know, it just as you you have a hard time letting go. You know, I'm having a hard time letting go of this. The world is changing. The way people experience entertainment is changing. We're seeing this at the box office. Over the last year and a half with this pandemic, people have changed their viewing habits and how they experience it. People have bought bigger TVs, bought you know better sound in their in their home, and they're making a choice. Do I want to go to the movie theater to go see that and have that experience? Or do I want to do that in my home? And as that evolves, uh, the windowing is going to continue to evolve. Um, it's yeah. the jury's still out. I, as I said, the studios are still uh, experimenting with it and comparing that to their competitors like <clears throat> Netflix, like how should I do this? And um, we'll see. We'll see. You know, histor again, yeah. historically, to answer your question, historically, we think the windowing maximizes revenue, but 
it's changing. We don't have control over that. We just don't have control over yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's a It's a weird and interesting time. I, I am a box office junkie. I mean, I before the pandemic, every, you know, Saturday morning, I'd wake up and the first thing I'd look at on my phone is, you know, the numbers on deadline. I'd be like, what, what did, you know, what overperformed and underperformed and it's just impossible to get any sense of how these things are working right now but that's that's new stuff you you, you guys are, are are mostly focused on library content is my is my uh understanding and I, I and that's another that's another really interesting area because you have for instance amazon picking up mgm which comes with a big library not as big as it used to be uh mgm sold some of that off <coughs> years ago to warner brothers but still a pretty big library and that seems to be as much as the underlying IP. That seems to be the big draw for Amazon, as best as I can tell. Because the the you know I, I know uh, I know that people sign up for Netflix or HBO Max or whatever because of the new stuff, right? They want the they want the new the hot new show. But what keeps them around, right, is the is is when you're scrolling through and you're like, well, what am I going to watch? I want to watch something. What am I going to watch today? Um, what is, what is your sense of a the MGM Amazon thing, but also just like the 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 value of a library as opposed to you know hot new content? Um, well, I'll start with the uh, the latter question. So first, um, I think that 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 comfort food, you know, the library content. If you look at, you look at the most viewed content on the streaming platforms, they're quite often in the top 10 library shows. On I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. sure where they stand at Netflix right now, but I know for a long time over the last couple of years, Grey's Anatomy and Criminal Minds were two very highly viewed shows on that platform. Those shows, one's still in production, right, at ABC, so it lags the, uh, the, the, uh, the original episodes, but it's still in production. But they have, you know, they have, you know, I don't know what, 15, 16, years of seasons mm -hmm. of episodes there that are being viewed but on netflix and it's been a big hit criminal minds hasn't been on the air for a few years and is still a very you know uh much viewed uh television show um friends which was on netflix for a long time and there was uh, a, an article a couple of years ago when the friends um hbo max had not yet launched I think Netflix made a deal. I think it was rumored to be a hundred million dollars for one one year to have all the episodes of Friends. Seinfeld just recently went to Netflix. Office went to Peacock. Uh, these are because I think the reason this is is because people like comfort food. Their comfort food. They like the known. Right when you can't find something with all the choice that you have on these streaming platforms. Um, and you can't find something new that you're interested or investing in, you go to or resort to something that's comfortable and known to you. Fortunately, we own CSI. We own 50% of that. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it was eight or 900 episodes of that show in its various incarnations, whether it's mm -hmm. CSI Vegas or New York or what, cyber and um, in Miami, of course. And I think people resort to what is familiar. You know, they look at news, new shows, you know, and look at Bridgerton, you know, this year, you know, Bridgerton was a huge success. Um, sure. And they also still rely on comfort food. It's a balance. And I think if you look at any of the big streaming platforms, um, they have library content that is highly viewed. Uh, it may not be what they market, right? You market the sizzle, you market the hot new show, 
but it is uh, something that they really rely on for uh, view viewers to stay with them. And I think that leads yeah. into your second question about MGM is <clears throat> Amazon, you know, there's a lot, a lot has happened. Um, there's been a lot of movement of chairs at the table. Um, Sony just made a deal with Netflix to send both new films and library content to Netflix and then have a second window. Remember, we were talking about windowing, have mm -hmm. a second window after it's been on Netflix for a period of time. It goes to Disney and the Disney channels, various channels that Disney has and controls. So that that leaves other players like, where am I going to get my content from? If I assume, you know, Stars is owned by Lionsgate. Lionsgate's going to make the decision. Well, we got to make sure that Stars gets content because we just lost Sony to Netflix. So maybe Lionsgate is going to be sending their films to Stars to ensure that they have content. And MGM's looking at themselves, and as we have this siloing effect among streamers, HBO, you know, Warner Discovery, you know, now mm -hmm. is not going to do business with Disney. Disney's not going to do business with Amazon. Amazon's not going. These are going to do business with Universal. For the most part, they're very siloed. Yes, there's some licenses that are done across various platforms. Paramount has a deal with with uh, Universal and Peacock, but for the most part, right. a lot of these companies are siloed. They only do business with themselves, and MG and I think Amazon is looking around at their offering. And remember, MGM is a lot different than these other streamers because MGM, excuse me, I shouldn't say MGM, Amazon's a lot different than these streamers because they're really supporting another business, which is Amazon Prime. Just like Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple Plus, right, right. Is, it's not about a streaming platform. It's about the Apple experience and delivering an experience and value to its consumer. Same thing with Amazon. They want to deliver to the Amazon Prime viewer. And in order to deliver, they're going to deliver great shows like, let's say, Bosch, which is, you know, a great television show or or uh, they'll, they'll deliver uh, other other uh, Mrs. Maisel or other shows that they will yeah. deliver. But they can't just deliver count on delivering hit TV shows or Jack Ryan. They also have to look at having library content and by buying MGM, they're delivering, they're letting their consumers know that you're going to have a library content that you're going to be able to choose from. It may not be why they why they um, sign up for Amazon Prime. They're going to sign mm -hmm. up for Amazon Prime sure. because they get one day shipping. They get free shipping or it's going to be at their house in one or two days and they have a choice. But they're just delivering more and more value. And this is part of delivering value is that they want to deliver a library. And eventually, I think they see the underlying IP inside the MGM library for sequels and remakes that they could turn into new content. But the, the Amazon decision for buying MGM is much bigger than, oh, we just want to have, you know, films. It's right. really delivering for that prime audience, um, which is yeah. very, very important to them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, I'm, I'm still curious to see if it, you know, if it runs into regulatory hurdles, Washington now seems to be sticking their, their nose in to, 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 to see what's happening there. Uh, and it, 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 it's, it is, again, it's very, it's very, it's very complex and interesting. And I'm, I'm super curious to see what they do, uh, out of that. I, I, I this is, hear, maybe, have this an idea. Something... I have an idea, Sonny, what they might do. Yes, if I may, please. I don't mean to cut you off. So Go, please, you're please a, because do. you said what you said about being a real videophile and watching box office. So 
they own a box office service, right? They own, sure. the, you know, they, so they, they list what box office goes because they own, um, uh, was it Box Office Mojo? Isn't that the one that they own? Yeah, I think Box Office Mojo is part of IMDb.com, right. which is all owned by Amazon. Right. right? So uh, Jeff Bezos is brilliant, okay? I don't, I'm, and I'm not the first person to say that. But think about this. Do you think it was, like, coincidental that the first acquisition that Amazon made was IMDb? That was the first – one of their first acquisitions they ever made was mm-hmm. IMDb. And that was, like, 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And IMDb, for those in your audience who don't know, is a video files dream, right? It it has all the credits for every show and every movie ever made, and they're hot linked to bios and to all the people's other credits. It's a it's a huge database of content information, so that when you're watching Amazon, and I'm sure you you're an Amazon Prime viewer are you an amazon sure of course (laughs) of course and you hit prop you know they have what's called x-ray feature right on their watching and i hit pause and i'm watching jack ryan let's say i hit pause oh in this scene is john krasinski oh well what else has john krasinski been in and i could look into it and i could read his bio right there online well now imagine if they have an x-ray feature inside of Amazon Prime TV that allows you to, wow, Krasinski's wearing really cool sunglasses. Who makes those sunglasses? Oh, those are Ray-Ban sunglasses. I, I'd i like to buy those. And you could click through and just mm-hmm. in, sort of in-app purchase, you know, in the Amazon app purchase. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I don't, I, I'm not saying it's a hypothetical. I think that that's what's happening. They're going to take that x-ray feature a little bit further. And it's really brilliant. And what they're doing is guaranteeing a greater share of people's wallets. That's what you're trying to do is get a greater share of wallet and continue to deliver utility to the prime member, which is essentially taking a page out of Sam Walton's playbook from when Walmart was started. Constantly give the consumer a reason to go into Walmart to buy something there as opposed to walking down the street to the next store. And that's what Amazon is doing. And I think that that, yeah. that idea, the x-ray feature, taking it into in-app purchases is sort of the next thing that they will do. Yeah. I mean, I, I and I, I had never really thought about this, but with the x-ray feature and with their ownership of IMDb, I'm sure they can cross-reference everything that you're looking up in terms of, okay, this is what people are interested in. This is, you know, this is what's hot on the star meter today. Uh, let me let me ask a, a question here about the, from your perspective as both a, a content uh, provider and as as a consumer, as a customer, um, do you, do you, are we, is the, is the current model of everybody having a streaming service, Peacock, you know, Paramount Plus, uh, et cetera, et cetera, is that sustainable or are we, are we headed toward a, at least a little bit of consolidation here in the next few years? I mean, I, I feel like there are so many different options for people that we are, we are headed toward uh, a, 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 a cost apocalypse as much as anything else. I just don't know that people will be able to afford it. Right. Um, I said to somebody less than a year ago, I said, look, you're going to have consolidation. It's not so sustainable. And we have seen it since I said that, you know, look, Warner and Discovery, right? They essentially said, we're not going to go it alone, right? Discovery is not going to have Discovery Plus alone as an offering may not be enough to compete. And AT&T said, we 
aren't going to go it alone. So they joined forces. They thought that that was just, so you've already seen consolidation, right? Between two very big media companies consolidated to say, in order to go toe to toe with, let's say, the other three larger companies, um, Netflix, Amazon, and, 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 um, and Disney, we need to combine, right? So that's what, and I think what everyone is sort of saying, and at least what I hear is how many, like many things, how many, as we, un, you know, cut the cord for cable, more and more people cut the cord and decide what they need, how many of these streaming services do we need, right? Well, I think many people are saying right now of the people that have streaming, I think the statistic, and you may know this study is like 95% mm -hmm. of all people who have streaming in their home have Netflix. Okay. So then it's the battle for second, which is probably Disney and then Amazon Prime is a little bit different because it's part of a bigger package. Same thing with Apple. So you're battling for third and fourth. Is is Paramount Plus part of that? Is Peacock, which is more an AVOD play than a subscription play, but AVOD, is Peacock part of that? Um, I think that that is what everyone is trying to figure out. How many of these do I need? Is HBO Max one of them? Uh, or whatever, yeah, I guess we'll call it HBO Discovery, whatever the combined entity looks like, mm -hmm. is that one of them? And I think that that's, that's still to be determined. But I do believe that all these companies that I've mentioned are not going to be operating on a standalone basis a couple years from now. That there will be some combination. Yeah. And already, you know, there's rumors uh, just this week that Universal or Comcast and Viacom are having conversations of having some type of collaboration in streaming, whether that's domestic or international, offering to compete in the marketplace. Yeah, and don't forget that'd be a huge one. Yeah. That'd be, I it'd mean, be, that'd be it'd be very it'd big. Be big. Yeah, very big. Um, all right. Well, that was everything uh, I wanted to talk to you about. I always like to end these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. Uh, if there's anything you think uh, listeners should know about your business, about the world of streaming, about the world of content uh you know management ip ip massaging that sort of stuff uh what 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 should folks know um i think it's, it, entertainment's an interesting business it is a business at the end of the day and while it's something that we love to watch and enjoy and experience there is a business behind it and what we've seen over the last couple of years is the business side of it a lot of combinations and divestitures right so a lot of people may be saying to you sonny well what's going to happen? You know, there's so many combinations going on, so much consolidation, but we've seen this before. Remember company in the 1960s and seventies, Gulf Western known Paramount sure. and, you know, sure. and three or four different entities over the last 20 years have owned universal. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of combinations over the years and then divestitures. There was a time when a company called AOL owned time Warner. Well then, you know, it was owned by two other entities. Yeah. It was a standalone and owned two, but two other. Now it's combining with Discovery. These, this consolidation and breakup or disvestitures happen over and over again. I think we are seeing right now where some of the consolidation that's happening will not be reversed because there's an inextricable need between the one company and the other, like Amazon and MGM. I don't. I think you see them divesting. I think they own it and that is it. Whereas yeah. others, you might see more divestitures going on. It's it's an exciting time, yeah. you know, as both from a 
content standpoint and how much content you get to see in so many great shows, like some of the best programming is being created now and it's really exciting, but it's also a very exciting time for the business. So that's, yeah, I'll leave you that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, John, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, again, I'm Sonny Bunch, culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, we, will be, we will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. See you guys then. Mm-hmm.